Welcome to Merkaba Chakras, where we talk Buddhism in the fifth dimension. A Buddha is someone who's awake within the matrix and co-creating with divinity as a soul having a human experience. Each enlightened episode is dedicated to help you level up the energy field of your Merkaba. You can manifest the parallel reality that fits the best version of you. This podcast is for entertainment purposes and does not necessarily reflect the views of the host or replace any medical or legal advice. Now, let's welcome your host, author Von Galt, and her guest. Welcome to another podcast episode of Merkaba Chakras. Today, we learn another wonderful technique to make a connection with Source. Our guest is Beyond Quantum Healing founder, Candice Carl Goldman. Now, what makes BQH unique is that it is done both in person and online. I have personally tested this method out myself during the 2020 worldwide COVID-19 pandemic with clients as far away as China from here in the United States of, of Seattle, Washington. And I get the exact same results as the other modalities that I have tried in my life. I get the same quantum healings, the same universal consciousness speaks to me, and even my clients, deceased loved ones, and their ego comes forward just exactly the same as I do in my in-person hypnosis sessions and meditation sessions. And I've tried many different modalities, as you as you all know. So with that, Candace, welcome to Merkava Chakras. Well, thank you so much, Vaughn. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting with you this evening. Yeah, I, um, this was one that I love as well, because I have been, I remember, I remember following your work when you first started creating BQH. And I just like, you know, I'm a researcher. So I'm a researcher of consciousness, and I will try a lot of different modalities to see if it matches up to my understanding of Buddhism, to see if it pairs up or, cause you know, we, there's nothing new under the sun. We just rediscover it in different ways. And I, I get that. And so um, that's one of the things that I bring to the podcast and um, the followers of advanced Buddhism is that there's many ways to bake a cake mm-hmm. and always are, um, can be delightful and we're all going to you that be- make that beautiful cake at some point in our creation so um but I'm always curious and so I followed BQH since the beginning but because it offered um remote and it was competing with other modalities that offered in person um it didn't really get as much steam as it has since the pandemic for obvious reasons because we're all kind of stuck in our homes and not really uh, in front or near each other as much as we were. And so when that came through, um, then I was compelled to go, okay, let's try this again. And I did the course, I, I refreshed my understanding of it. 
And the minute I opened my practice up for remotes, I had people from China, from all over the world hit me up going, Vaughn, you're doing a remote, yay. So now they could try a whole nother modality. And, um, and now it is, it's finally gotten the opportunity to be recognized and exercised by a lot of people in this space to be just as valid as the other modalities. And so it just needed an opportunity. And ironically, the pandemic gave it that beautiful platform and it proved to be true. So before we dig into your work, please tell us how you got into this work in the first place. Okay, well, there we go with the, the origination story. So <laughs> I wasn't planning on any of this, really. I was a, a wife and a mother. I, my focus was art and horses and animals. And um, I wasn't planning on getting into this work at all. But it's somewhere in my life, probably around the year 2000, but even before then, uh, I started to have a chronic pain condition. And I did what most people I knew would do is head to the doctor, ask a bunch of questions. And I got a lot of shoulder shrugging and I got a lot of pills handed to me and none of them worked. And I wasn't, you know, terminally ill or anything like that. I didn't have uh, from the outside, nobody could really tell that I was uh, suffering and because I did everything just about that I could possibly do. It just was painful to, to do it. And I had just different things going on with me. Um, and I was doing some professional photography with horses down in Austin, Texas, and I had arranged what was then going to be my biggest photo shoot. I was doing an album cover for a country and Western singer, and it was his third album, Our Second Together. And I, I just created this really huge photo shoot, a really big one with lights and a set. And uh, it took six months of planning. In the morning of the shoot, I couldn't get out of bed because of pain. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have a lot of different kinds of dark nights of the soul. Uh, and for me, that kind of was it, because I had to pick up the phone and call everybody and call everything off because um, I couldn't get out of bed. And I, I really felt um, defeated by my own body at that time. And uh, I laid in bed and I did something that I might not have ever done before. I kind of prayed. Um, almost into a stupor. I prayed myself into a stupor. I was just, you know, I, I kind of, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what else to do. And I changed the way I was asking <laughs> source, God, you know, my angels, whatever. I was, I changed the way I was asking. So rather than please help me or um, help this stop or, you know, those kinds of, of feelings um, and words, my focus was, I'm not sure what else I'm supposed to do. I've done everything that I know how to do to take care of myself. And I don't know what else to do. What am I, what am I supposed to do about this? And as soon as I changed the answer to, to that question, I actually had a, a spontaneous um, supernatural experience. I left my body and I found myself as standing in a beautiful field, a version of which I lived by anyway in, in our ranch in Texas. We have a small little ranch north of Austin. And I had 
these light beings uh, stand up kind of from a semicircle. And the one in the center literally just handed me a piece of paper. <laughs> handed me a piece of paper. And I took the piece of paper and I looked at it and I read um, three things on this piece of paper. Number one, number two, and number three. And, um, you know, it can get really involved, but let's just say number three was have a past life regression. What was one and two? Well, number, I'm happy to tell you. To go ahead. Talk, but I'm happy to tell you. So number one was go, go to your, do- make an appointment with your doctor and tell him you're tired. And the thing was, is I wasn't tired at all. I was just in pain. I had no problems being tired. And I had just a few days before talked to my doctor and we both said, well, uh, we don't know what else to do with each other. And he sort of said, well, if you break your ankle or something, come on back in. But we were sort of done with the pain thing. The only thing he had to offer were drugs and I didn't want them and they didn't work and made things worse. And so that was number one. And number two was um, volunteer for uh, something called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. Uh, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep is an organization that uh, provides professional photography for families experiencing infant bereavement in hospitals. And I had known about uh, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep because I actually had two hospital um, um, high-risk pregnancies myself. I knew about the organization, but I wasn't at all sure that I could possibly take photographs of babies in that situation. But that was number two. And number three was have a past life regression. And the really interesting thing was, um, besides the fact that I had this supernatural experience, was the very next day, I had the most magical day truly of my entire life. Everything, everything in that entire next day after that um, event lined up like the stars were lining up for everything. My doctor that I couldn't usually get into, I got in to see, um, he asked me, you know, why I was there. You know, and I am like, what am I even going to say to this guy? You know, because I I had to be honest. And I said, well, uh, I saw some angels last night. It was the only thing I knew how to describe what, you know, what happened with me. And I thought that he'd be okay hearing, but I thought he might think I was nuts. And I said, they told me to tell you I was tired. I'm not tired, but that's what they told me to tell you. And he actually looked at me and he went, huh. He said, you know, there's this guy I had the patient right before you today. And he has a lot of the same symptoms that you do. And um, anyway, he tested me for my vitamin B12 blood levels at that point. And when you are really, really low in vitamin B12, the number one symptom is extreme tiredness. I didn't have extreme tiredness at all. A very odd and strange symptom is uh, muscle contraction, which caused me terrible pain. And... So I was, you know, on the outside of what normally happens with with people who have very low B12. So I started on some B12 therapy. So wait, were you low on B12? It was in the toilet. Oh, but even though you were like on a high, like you were, you're not, you were feeling fine. Yeah, but my vitamin, uh, for some some reason, my body, um, I I eat very high and did then do now eat. B12 rich uh, foods, but I couldn't assimilate the, 
the B12 that way. And so I got it via injections. These days I put a little patch behind my ear and I get it that way. Um, but I still take supplemental B12 since then. Right. Uh, that's, that's so true. I've, I've, uh, a lot of doctors that I've come across and, and interviewed and talked to, they say that B12 deficiency is a very common thing, especially with people who are very, very analytical, a lot of brain cell um, activity going on. They, um, they need more B12 than the average person. I hadn't heard that. That's really yeah. interesting. And then the other thing also that um, about B12 is that, um, and you guys can all look at it, it's all up there, um, is that a lot of people who are addicts, uh, I'm not a medical doctor, but a lot of addicts um, with alcohol or drug abuse and all that kind of stuff, addiction to pills and stuff, they lack B12 as well. So just so you guys know, if, if you're a high functioning analytical, lots of things are going on in your head, you probably need more B12. Um, and, and you can look that up. And there's a lot of medical journals on the benefits of B12 for people whose brains act like that. So that's really fascinating, but you know, A, B, C, D, and E. <laughs> that's really, really interesting. I, you know, the, I, I, I didn't then and I won't now, I won't even take a Tylenol if I have a headache. I'm so, so, you know, it's something, something strange about my physical makeup for whatever reason it is. But um, so after that, which was just so interesting that I was even able to get into my doctor, you know, I, I called and I knew that, that uh, he was so booked up and I called to make an appointment and she was like, oh, we just had a cancellation. So I got in that very next day and the, everything just started working like that. And so before I even left the house for my doctor's appointment, I, I looked up now, I lay me down to sleep and I put in my registration. And the very last thing on the registration was, you know, lots of people apply. It takes six to 12 weeks to go through this. Don't call us. We'll call you, et cetera, et cetera. And I pushed the submit button to that. And I remember going in the kitchen and making a cup of coffee because I was going to make a cup of coffee and research past life regression. Next, I was doing everything the angels told me. And I made the cup of coffee and I came back to the computer and I had a response from now I lay me down to sleep. And I thought, oh, it's an auto response. And I opened that up and uh, I got the most interesting email. And it was, you know, I never do this, but I opened up your email as because I saw it come in and um, I looked through your images and, uh, you know, some of your projects and you're in, um, consider yourself in, you're approved to be a volunteer. I got information on who to contact. And so within five minutes of applying, <laughs> I was in thinking I was going to be waiting six to 12 weeks or something. And, and so I'm like, well, this is interesting. The whole day was going like this. And then I go to the doctor. I have that fine day. Um, I come back home and I stop outside the gate where we have mailboxes and I open up a mailbox and somebody had sent me a book <laughs> just out of the blue. And it was um, Dolores Cannon uh, book. It, it was, do you, did you ever find out who sent you the book? Oh, yeah. Uh -huh, okay. Absolutely. It was it was somebody that I corresponded with in, on the internet, and um, in those days we used Yahoo groups to talk to each other. And she sent me a book. She said, "I, you know, I I thought you might like this book, and I believe it was Convoluted Universe, book three. And so I'm looking at this book, and you know, a little note in there, and she said, "You know, I think Dolores is teaching past her past life regression class um, sometime in the next uh, few months, and." Maybe we can go together. 
So I'm looking at this note, you know, that was number three on my list. I didn't even get to start to research it. And here the book landed that next day in my mailbox. So I, I went and um, <laughs> I looked up Dolores Cannon and I called immediately and I, and I found out about the class and the class had been, it was that summer um, in July that was the summer that my daughter was graduating high school. My mother was there. It was a very busy summer. There was a lot going on every weekend. I was a band mom and a baseball mom, and I had all these other photo shoots, and my own mother, I was taking care of her at the time. And anyway, so I'm looking, and, and you know, it's this July class, and I'm like, I, I want to go, you know? And I thought, well, the only way I can go is if my daughter, who was, of course, senior at that time in high school, if she could kind of cover for me, take care of the horses and my mother. So I call her in and I said, Lauren, you know, if I wanted to take a trip this summer, maybe would you cover for me? And she kind of laughed. She said, do you know how booked up we are this summer? That's crazy. We are booked every weekend from now until September when I start college that, you know, and I'm like, just go get your calendar and, you know, come back in. And she walked around the door and she was looking, she's like, mom, we only have one weekend where there's nothing, booked. there's only one. And that was the weekend where the class was going. And so at that point, I'm like, I've got goosebumps. And I'm like, what's going on? Like the, I felt like I was in a movie, right? Synchronicity, it's, it's popping all over the place. And then all of this is happening on the exact same day. And so I had called and I found out that the class was $500. I talked to the lovely young lady and, you know, $500. And Lauren said, yes, you're free. She walks out the door and I just in my head, I thought, okay, so where am I going to get $500? Now I could have gotten it out of my savings account or whatever, but I didn't have $500 in my checking account. And my next thought was, where am I going to get $500? I didn't even finish the thought in my mind when my mother came through the door and she said, she's a little German lady. She said, Candy, you never take money from me. I've been here for months and you've never taken any money, not even for groceries. Please, please take this money, take this check. She was walking through the door with a check in her hand. How much was it for? 500. Exactly right. <laughs> it was for $500. She handed it to me and I looked at that check and I went, Okay, I'll take it, you know, and um, I deposited it in the bank and, and then waited the, the two, three months. And then something else started happening uh, leading up and heading there. I knew that Dolores Cannon would choose somebody to be a demonstration subject for her class. And I thought, you know, I really thought, well, I wonder how that works. And then the morning that I was leaving Austin to drive to Arkansas when the class was going to be, I remember taking my backpack and just throwing it in the back of the pickup truck. And while that backpack was like in midair, I knew, I don't know why it was then or whatever, but I knew I was like, I'm going to be, I'm absolutely going to be the demonstration subject. I mean, I knew that the class would probably practice or whatever, but that's when I knew that it was going to be me. And I thought, and then I really argued with myself, you know, all nine hours of driving, I'm like, how do you know it's going to be you and all this and then you know synchronicity and all this stuff and one of the first things Dolores said when we started the class was she had a legal pad on her desk and she said if you want to be considered to be a demonstration subject 
please put your name on this pad and I'm going to leave it right here. And I watched as the entire class, except for maybe one or two people, put their name on that legal pad. And I had this terrible thing going on, terrible, wonderful thing going on in my mind because I knew it was going to be me. But I didn't want to put my name on the pad. And then so the argument was, well, if you don't put your name on the pad, how is she possibly going to choose you? Especially when everybody, almost everybody's putting their name on that pad. How is she going to choose you? And I just had this knowing. It was this huge knowing inside of me. And it was, a little bit of it was like I'm testing God, you know. But, but I thought, no, I'm not going to put my name on, on that list. And if she chooses me anyway, then I know that all of this that is happening here is magic and real and this is going to change my life and all that. I mean, I basically did that. I went, I'm not putting my name up there. I know she's going to choose me. And I was really feeling into my knowing my own internal knowing. And my roommate, the one who sent me the book, she would, she was the first one to put her name on that pad. She wanted a session by her so badly. I didn't really say anything. I, I didn't. I didn't say that I had the feeling to anybody. I didn't put my name on the list. And when it came time for Dolores to choose somebody for the demonstration subject, she said, well, uh, sometimes they tell me that a certain person needs to be the demonstration subject and that person didn't put their name on this list <laughs> I, love that. I, I, I always volunteer myself for all the magicians <laughs> and the demonstrations I was sitting in the back of the room too and she just got up from her chair walked across the the room stood right next to me and said Candace would you consider volunteering and I burst into tears and, you know, I haven't looked back since. Um, I started really, really um, believing in my knowing. And I, I was happy to assist Dolores. That was uh, 2014, uh, excuse me, 2008, all the way to her passing in the fall of 2014. And I created her support form and uh, directory listings, which basically morphed into what they are today. When, when Dolores passed, a lot of things changed. Her family carried on, but we didn't um, click and mesh the way I did with Dolores, and we separated. We separated ways, and I thought a lot about just shutting everything down, uh, and for about a year and a half, all I did was support Dolores's students, just not officially, you know, it, it was the, what we had done together, Dolores and I, and um, set that up. And, and I was just continuing to run it while our family began a different way of doing things. It was, you know, a new administration, so to speak. So um, I didn't know. And then I thought, well, you know, um, maybe it's time to think about updating some things. And so what we did was we opened up our doors to others, uh, you know, people who did different kinds of hypnosis, different kinds of energy healing, and we started sharing things horizontally, and um, and that worked really nicely. And I started experimenting on my own, different ways of doing things, just tweaking it a little differently than the way Dolores did them. Now, Dolores was famous to say not to do these sessions um, on the computer. She was very adamant about it. But this woman was born in 1931. You know, she was just a couple years younger than my own mother. She didn't much care for technology. As a matter of fact, in 
meetings and in classrooms, uh, if, if she was sent an email, she would have people printed on a piece of paper and bring it to her. She didn't, she went from reel to reel uh, recorders on t- actual tape. Right, right. Different kinds and then t- t- cassette tapes. My own session that was done as a demonstration in the class was done on a cassette tape and she sent it to me in the mail and I remember holding it even in 2008 I said I don't have anything to play this thing I had to go buy a recorder to hear my own session Dolores Cannon was not technologically focused at all she and she really couldn't imagine doing even what we're doing right now you know a lot of this this stuff online at the tail end of her life she she was doing some some of these things um using video conferencing but not much even in 2014 we were just getting into this um this way of communicating across the planet and so i started um really thinking about well why she made up this rule and and what was important about it well for her it was the comfort and safety of of the client well, I have actually found <laughs> that when the clients, they're typically at home, they're as comfortable as can be <laughs> when they're in their own bed or on their own sofa. And I had clients all those years up until then travel to me, um, you know, and sometimes the stress of traveling, first off the cost, you know, uh, and then, you know, flying or driving and then, and then the performance anxiety of being, you know, in a strange place and even with somebody taking very good care to make them feel comfortable it's still not home you know and some people are very comforted by having their cat or their dog there that that has been a really interesting thing to do um to watch after that you know how the pets get involved and quite frankly as far as safety goes if you've been doing this work, you know a hypnotic state can kind of linger, right? And so you make sure when you have a person who comes to you in, in person that you ground them, you know, that they're very grounded, they may eat something, you, you do very gr- good grounding exercises to make sure they're very awake when they go. And even if they do, though, <laughs> seem to be very awake, there's still, there's a little chance of being loopy like this. And especially... Um, for people who would be driving, you know, I would never recommend it, but you can't tell people what to do. You know, sometimes they would bring a driver and sometimes they wouldn't. Sometimes they would stay the night in town and sometimes they wouldn't. I would always recommend not to. But uh, so I actually have found that I think it's it's safer if you're at home. <laughs> right, right. So, right. Lots of really great cases for t- testing it out online. So so you made the leap you made the leap and you did it your first time so what was that like Mm. and I just and I just want to say for everyone else um as well you know um in Buddhism we believe that all meditation practices are a form of hypnotic meditation because it accesses the same theta gamma brain waves that tap into the fifth dimensional energy of healing and a connection to source. So, um, and anybody can look this up. Modern science has substantiated this through meditation research. So, um, you know, if you can 
go into um, that brain state and connect to source through BQH, um, whether online or in person, it, it just gives us more resources to, to assist people all over the place about any restrictions. So, um, so you made that leap. And when you did it for the first time, what was it like? Well, you know, I, as you're getting ready to pose the question, I'm even wondering if I should say this, but, you know, I'm all about being open and transparent. And so sort of a, um, a well-kept secret, shall we say, is that up until that time, many practitioners who knew about Dolores's directive, they would often do sessions online kind of anyway, mostly between each other. Um, I didn't. Why? Because I was Dolores's assistant and I was um, uh, promoting her method and we were doing what she said. And so I didn't. I did everything that Dolores said <laughs> until she died. And then I really kind of, you know, started thinking that I was okay because I've been doing it for so many years anyway, more than six at that point, full time, plus assisting her in all these classes. And I had lots of experience before I started um, to experiment a little, but I had known that there were many practitioners who were doing it anyway. They just weren't talking about it. And I, I didn't like that either that, you know, they were doing it, but hiding it and that, you know, it's never good to hide what you're doing. I don't think particularly. Um, so I did start quietly offering, um, sessions to people who were not able to travel for one reason or another. Typically distance, sometimes um, though was physical. And the very, very first time <laughs> that I did this was I was just compelled. And I, I actually talk about this in a video that's on my own Quantum Healers YouTube channel. But I was reading a Facebook thread and there was a woman who, she was actually in the hospital as she was talking to her friends on Facebook. And she says, well, I'm back in the hospital. I don't feel very good. And this time things are really, really crummy. I'm actually in the intensive care unit. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, and you're there tapping on your phone and you're in the intensive care unit. And it, it was true. And she was the single mother of three kids and she had an autoimmune disorder and her organs were shutting down and it was it was really crummy this time and and I didn't know her that well but I, somehow I was either on the thread or maybe we, we were just Facebook friends in, in some way and I was reading it and my heart really went out to her and and I got to one line of the exchange where she said uh, when I get out of here I'm going to save up my money and I'm going to go have a QHHT session and I remember looking at that and I rem and I knew where this woman lived and I was very, very well aware of where practitioners were and where they were not. And I knew that there weren't any practitioners where she was, at least not listed or not really practicing. I knew that there wasn't. And I knew it was there was a very small chance that she was going to find anyone that she could go to there. Plus, she was in the hospital. Plus, you know, she, she was really in poor condition. And so I reached out to her and I said, hey, um, you know, I've been really thinking about trying doing this online and I, I offered my services pro bono she actually again was a single mom she didn't even have a lot of funds and um, she wasn't and it really touched my heart too because she wasn't asking anyone to give her anything she she was 
she was simply describing her experience and, and, and I really felt a connection. And so I contacted her and she was all for it. And we decided to try to do a session while she was in the hospital. Right. And when you were doing these sessions, um, I, I, you know, I just want to remind people, you were testing out your own methods yeah, and your own script that you had come up in, you know, um, in making together with all the different other modalities and the different ways in which, which people are getting into yeah. that uh, brain's brain wave state. So now you have the opportunity and you had a good cause to try to test out your opportunity on this patient who is an ICU mm -hmm. for an autoimmune um, issue. And she obviously is the is needed in her life because she's a single mom of three kids. So you got the reason the you know, you got the permission slip and you have your own technique and script that you've been working on. So now you did it. So what happened? Well, um, you know, if you've been doing this work for any length of time, you realize that it's simply deciding to have a session sometimes is one of the things that kicks off things starting to happen. Mm -hmm. So we, we created this elaborate way of where we thought we were going to do a session being in the intensive care unit with the nurses and she was going to have her mother there sort of run interference with the nurses and we were going to see if we could do it between, you know, IV checks and all of that stuff. And I just, again, I, I went with my knowing you know, my in, in here, I would check in, is this the right thing to do? And, it, you know, the answer always was yes, yes, yes. And um, so we decided to split up the time. Uh, the, I would talk to her about her issues, her life, you know, the, the first part of a session, we would do that. Right. And because she, her organs are actually shutting down. She had 30% heart function only. She was tired, you know, uh, we were going to split it up. So we do all the talking on one day and then we were going to do um, the session the next day or possibly I think then it would have been like the Saturday or whatever. And so we, we did some talking on the, just on the telephone and I contacted her the next day <laughs> And she said that, that she actually had done so well just after we had talked that they took her out of uh, ICU and put her in a regular room. And then, so we just talked- from, Just from interviewing her about what right. she was uh, looking for. Okay. Yeah, she made yeah. it became stable and they put her in a regular room. And so that happened so quickly that she was like, and I think, you know, it, I, because I'm doing so well and done so well for enough, a number of hours, I think I may be going home tomorrow. Oh. To me, you know, wow. From ICU to regular room to home. That was fast. Well, kind of crazy, <laughs> but, you know, I guess if you have a, a crisis and you, you're stable and it's a long-term thing that she'd been dealing with, this is right. Not she was in the hospital right, right. so I think getting in the ICU was because there was you know critical things going on and then she went back to her normal stable thing and so they they sent her on home after that so so what it ended up doing was he ended up doing this the actual session exactly where she wanted it which oh, was okay. her home right but okay. I mean ready to do it in the hospital and we started and we ended up doing the actual session at home which was perfect because she loved her home so so much and she was one of the ones who had the dog and the dog was right there with her mm -hmm. and dog you know that love that pure unconditional love mm -hmm. I can't tell you how often that has played a part in 
in these sessions where, you know, the animal becomes their energy helps in the healing potential yeah. of, of the client. And she mm-hmm. had a really crystal clear, perfect, amazing session. And it was so beautiful. And in the session, I remember she, um, she went to a mail, went to a mailbox. She was her, Mm. her own self. She didn't go to a past life, which was another thing, you know, BQH um, is, is different than some of these other past life regression modalities because it doesn't insist that you go visit a past life because so many things happen anyway. And and for her, she was basically uh, reliving a dream or just going into her own life. And she was walking to the mailbox and Mm -hmm. in the mailbox, ends up being all of the answers to all of her, every one of her oh. questions. It was okay. delivered right there. Everything that, you know, the reason for her um, illness, uh, what to do, uh, uh, practical suggestions on how to take it from there. And what was the cause of her autoimmune? What was, what was the was, original it was cause? A, it was a family thing. It was family relationship oriented birth order and, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. And, it was very much a, you know, not, not feeling supported. Um, mm, so she very, couldn't breathe very early years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, she had all, it was, it was really remarkable. And after the session and during the session, um, a sunbeam came through mm-hmm. and it was, it was just extraordinary how the sunbeam was crossing her and that, you know, everything it, right at the time of healing. And I could feel yeah. it in my own body in my own home doing this while she was there and and she had such a remarkable recovery and you know you when you take clients as you already are you know that even if you say hey let me know how you're doing they don't always get back to you right they're just moving on with their life exactly exactly i used to wonder why they wouldn't do that but well you feel you feel good and you're gonna go life this lovely young woman i'm so happy that she did because she she got back to me and she just was telling me how how great she was feeling and um and that and it kept up you know she just kept feeling better and better and she actually went back to her dot her general physician to mm-hmm. to have a checkup and they did they ran some blood tests and this is my favorite part of this whole story because they ran these blood tests and they came back and the, the, the particular marker, and I'm, I'm not remembering which, and it doesn't matter anyway, but a particular blood marker in her lab work, which, you know, is the definitive uh, marker for her specific autoimmune, mm-hmm. um, it, it came back in a normal range or just about normal. It was like mm. all normal and so the doctor says well this is not possible um you, you can't, this is this is not possible i know you feel really good but here's your this is one of the lab results and it shows that you you don't have that anymore and we know that this must be wrong because this particular autoimmune issue does not ever heal or go away once you have it you always have it you always have this blood marker right yeah yeah it's part of your dna Exactly, exactly. And the and right. so the doctor and the lab said, I don't know how this could possibly have gotten mixed up. It, it must have gotten mixed up, even though these other 12 other things didn't get mixed up. This one yeah. got mixed up. So we're, she insists, he insisted that she returned back to her, to the lab, give blood again to do it again, because none of them could believe that, that it was normal. Yeah. You can't just change your, according to medical science currently, you can't just change your DNA structure 
Right. Just, except for she did. <laughs> except, <laughs> for, except for you have a case where she did. Yeah. And the only thing different was that she had gotten yeah. um, a session. So it yeah. came back normal again, and she just went on with her life. And she actually ended up um, starting her own business and starting yeah. after that. And um, just a remarkable, remarkable story. And that's, I'm so happy about that that I just went on from there. And I that's and a beautiful first session to test oh, out your new method. I mean, I you know. couldn't get anything better than that's like perfect. I was so inspired, you know, and I thought what, you know, she's not going to get a session. If she has to follow a rule that she has to be in person, she's not going to get one. Right. So right. How I, you know, I was really inspired to try this, but right. I, did, I didn't stop there. I, I started experimenting more and more and I didn't really talk about it because why I don't, I didn't want to do one or two or four. I, I experimented for a year and a half. Mm before really developing um, the whole yep. protocol around doing sessions online as a method to be able to be taught to others. Uh, that's a really great story. And um, just for people who are, because a lot of people who are aware of like Buddhism, for instance, uh, I try to kind of raise some, relate some understanding. So like in Buddhism, when you get to the part in whatever modality, in this case is BQH, when you get to the part where you're connecting to source, you are literally in source code. And so, or Christ conscious, you're talking and connecting with Christ conscious, the crystalline nature of source. And when, just like a computer programmer, when they go into the source code, you can change the structure of anything in that code. Like we reconfigure your, your DNA sequence. Now there is some aspects to um, your pre-life plan too. If there's certain things that are fixed, it will be fixed. We can only do so much um, to still respect the journey that was um, that was selected. But for the most part, many of them is malleable. It's it's fixable at the source level. So um, so for for those who are going, well, how does that? How do you understand in terms of Buddhism, Vaughn? I just explained it to you guys. You connect to source is connecting to the crystalline nature of Christ consciousness within you, which is connected to source. And from source, you can get energy healing. Um, and uh, there's a lot of science that goes into that as well. But that's the that's the, the simplistic answer to that. So um, I've seen that with myself. I tried the, um, your BQH on a um, a person who had eye issues, and she what came out was that she didn't want to see the world because it was not utopian. And so she had created eye issues so that she wouldn't see the world clearly because it wasn't beautiful and it was suffering that she was seeing and all that kind of stuff. And when we addressed that, that, that was the source and in, in why she had over time created this vision impairment, um, even though it was remote through Zoom, the minute that she understood the patterning that came up for that, all of a sudden, like right in the eye, you just started seeing some lights shining right in the eye part, the blue lights. And I'm like, what's going on with your computer screen? And she's like, I see that too. And I'm like, why is it not, ha- why is it only happening on the eye and not anywhere else? So, wow. so even if you do remotes as well as, as in person, the, the funny thing for a practitioner who's, I mean, cause I've tried meditation remote 
and meditate different meditation practices done remotely like they'll do like group zoom meditations you get to get into those um those brainwave frequencies and connect to source you're going to get the same thing also you have zoom and everybody's having weird flickers at the same time on their <laughs> on their on their screen and it's, it's the most it's the funniest thing and then we're all laughing about everybody's weird computer anomalies at the same time at certain pivotal points in the meditation but it happens also with um with online through BQH and other kind of modalities as well. So it's, it's, it is so funny, just like the, the sun kind of coming through and shining at the right exact pivotal moment when you're doing um, this online at the right exact pivotal moment, don't be surprised if Source uses the computer um, technology to do the same magic. So it is, it is really- that we're together, not just BQH, but you know, there's lots of other kind of modalities out there. But and you know, a lot of us are using this way of connecting as we've had to, um, particularly this this last year of 2020. You know, I think that the you know humans we're sort of interfacing with this technology and kind of upgrading it for our own use. In, yeah, in yeah, I yeah. I, I would I would I would definitely agree because all things within consciousness is conscious sure Absolutely. so yeah um and and so e even that statement is a little bit uh, extreme because nobody wants to think that technology can be conscious but even technology evolves as well and everything within samsara under the buddhist understanding everything within samsara within creation within source is an aspect of source and connected to source so it is conscious it's just a matter of what level of consciousness it has um, and so um, we can live in peace and harmony with um, technology but um, but besides that you know in Candace in Buddhism we have lots of different chants and harmonics that get back into those beautiful theta um, gamma you know high meditative brain waves that connect to source so like I said, modern science has already confirmed that chants function much like NLP. And for uh -huh. those people, yeah, for those people who are not familiar with what NLP is, it's Neuro Linguistic Programming, um, which uses an, an induction voice to reprogram the belief systems of the user into a, adopting a new thought for their behavior, like quit smoking or start exercising or whatever that they were trying to achieve. And I've been doing NLP, a lot of different NLP programs since um, for about 30 years now. Like whenever I start a new job, I, I put the, the NLP going, you're going to do great. And then all of a sudden, I don't know how I do it, but I'm performing at the highest levels of something that I'm not familiar with. I'm like, I don't know how I do that. But I always, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't care how the light bulb turns on I just need to turn on so just do the jobs but that's what NLP is and a lot of BQH practitioners are writing meditation scripts for from the skills that they acquire in taking your courses so what are what are your thoughts um, on on that and how do you support your students venturing off into their own offerings that they learn from BQH well, um, you, you asked some really great questions and uh, I, I may start answering this one a little bit like I started answering the online one, which is, again, something that really wasn't talked about in, in the quantum healing community and I think in some other communities is 
there were many practitioners who would bring in other tools and try different things anyway they just wouldn't talk about it and I again you know I, I didn't that didn't sit right with me and I thought it was just natural if this is if this is what practitioners out there were doing anyway it's just it's just a natural thing to want to use the the tools you have at your disposal the skills that you may have acquired maybe in other classes or in other ways and I looked around at other classes and other programs out there and I I mean, and to this day, and you, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have yet to find one out there that actually celebrates and says, please bring other skills and other uh, things that you've learned in other places and, and apply them here. Why not? Uh, it's just natural. It's just normal. So actually, I'm, I'm thrilled and I very much encourage the people who've gone through the course to share back with me. I learn every day from other BQH and other kinds of practitioners on our forum and um, in other ways. And I don't want to stop learning. And I really like the idea of horizontal um, exchange in that way. I don't want to be anyone's guru. Uh, I, I like to celebrate everyone's success. Well, well said. And you know, like, you know, just just like I said at the very beginning, there's lots of different ways to bake a cake. And some people are true to certain forms. And that's wonderful because that is what they offer, that technique. And for some people, they may want to try that tea, that technique to bake a cake, whereas other people may want to try a different technique to achieve the same outcome. Or like me, I'll try all the different techniques and then decide which one I like a little bit better. <laughs> I go for the easiest way <laughs> to get the best version. But um, but that's why there's in Buddhism, they call it, there's different schools of Buddhism. And so oftentimes um, they will have students learn everything they can in a specific school. And then once they outgrow what is being offered in different modalities to connect to source, they'll say, okay, time for you to go over here and try this monastery and while they're teaching. And there's been some really great achievements in um, mindfulness over at this location. Go try that. So people will kind of migrate a little bit as they continue to evolve. Um, but, you know, in Buddhism, we know that there is no hell and no Satan. And it's a fabrication of early Catholicism's misunderstandings of an out-of-control ego. Uh, when they fabricated Yeshua or in the West, Jesus's story using common superstitions. And I know a lot of practitioners may get this from certain people of different sects that they're really afraid of um, BQH, for example, because they are fearful of negative entities. What would you say to people who, um, who are really interested in going into their different lives um, through BQH, but are fearful that it may tap into that fear that they have? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the thing that I typically say is, um, you know, it, it, de it depends on if they're really afraid or if they're just asking a question. Uh, I remember once, uh, one of my most fond memories. I had a woman come in for a session. She actually was in late stage pancreatic cancer. Her doctor had sent her home and, and said, there's nothing more we can do for you. And it was her niece that sent her to me. And she, she came for an in-person session and she came in and she sat down 
And the very first thing that she said to me was, she said, my daddy was a Baptist preacher, she said. <laughs> and he said, never let anyone hypnotize you because the devil could get in. I mean, and then she just kind of looked at me. She crossed her arms and she looked at me. And um, I, I kind of smiled really big. And I, I said, you know, um, if you truly believe that, then this method is not for you. This is not for you. And um, we don't have to waste any more time. I'd love a day off. Uh, I promise I won't charge you a dime. Uh, nice to meet you. And I'll show you the door if that's, if that's really, you know, if you're really fearful of that and you really believe that, then, then really this is, this is not for you. And she actually looked at me. She goes, no, I just wanted to see what you were going to say about it. You know, and I was like, okay. And then we had an exchange about the different ways of looking at it. And look, there is still, um, in my opinion, <laughs> there's still a lot that needs to be discovered about this whole concept of negative entities. Now, you know, I, I refer back to Dolores Cannon, why, of course, she was my teacher. She was my main teacher. I learned so much from her. I've just moved on from, from there. But Dolores Cannon in her community and with her method of QHHT, she, she made this blanket statement, this blanket observation. She said, there is no such things as negative entities. They don't attach themselves to you. This isn't what's happening and you can't talk about it. Now, when she made that directive and I was still assisting her and assisting her students, I, that never sat right with me for this reason, every class that would come through would ask about it. Practitioner after practitioner after practitioner would ask about it. She, she didn't, Dolores didn't, um, she answered it like one time with a few paragraphs and she, she literally did not want to talk about it anymore. If anybody asked, you were supposed to hand over these paragraphs and, and basically censor and stop that talking. And I would think to myself, well, she has that right. This is her, um, this is her place. She's running the show here. Um, if that's what she wants, then that's fine. But it didn't sit right with me. Um, and so then same thing would happen. People would talk about it just kind of behind the scenes, right? And Dolores never did experience negative entity attachments in her sessions. And quite frankly, after thousands of sessions and coming up on 13 years of doing this work, neither have I. I just haven't. I have not. Now, I have colleagues whom I respect very much who have had a complete different experience and would tell you something completely different. So who's got the, you know the end game on what actually is reality here. I'm not going to say I know, you know, we are only humans. Often I think about the idea of the, the fact that, you know, visible, uh, the visible spectrum for humans of light is, you know, a slice about like this in the light spectrum, right? There's all of this over here and there's all of this over here. And if, you know, humans, we, we can only perceive so much, even in these altered states and stuff. I don't have any definitive answers about that. What I will say is if you're fearful, it tends to show up. If you focus on it, it tends to show up. There are tools out there. BQH does create tools. If the situation arises, there are some things to say. That's in our uh, BQH session notebook. 
guess what? I have my own notebook with me. I have a session tomorrow. I'll have my notebook with me right there. Tomorrow, I might have my very first negative entity attachment in a session. I'll go to my own notebook, <laughs> read how to deal with it. Why? I've never had to do it. I've heard lots and lots and lots and lots of stories over all these years about my colleagues who've done this. I've never had to do it. Why? Right. There's a lot of different ways of looking at it. I can't promise what your experience is going to be, but there are tools. And because BQH is so accommodating, uh, some people who find that this is an issue will bring in skills and procedures from other um, techniques and therapies. Right, right. You know, the the thing about um, negative entities is that... um, the dark always is scary until you shine some light on it. And then you just find you're just jumping over your own shadow. But the other thing also is that it could be part of a life lesson for the practitioner to learn as well, since everything is basically experiences and life lessons. And in um, if you do BQH or you do any kind of other uh, modalities or other hypnosis modalities and you get into different realities or parallel realities or parallel lives or whatever, um, the person has experience in their incarnation. Um, typically what comes up in their, in, in their wheel of dharma, in their reality is for them to um, work with transmute and overcome and so like it may not be a type of client that needs to be in let's say Dolores or in your practice because that's not a lesson that you need to overcome you know um I typically get the same kind of kind of uh clients over and over again they all happen to be starseeds trying to figure out what the heck's wrong with earth And they're they're trying to figure out how to um, raise their frequency so they can get to a higher version of reality so they can make, um, they can be those ambassadors to different um, civilizations that that they had previously incarnated from. That's what I typically get over and over and over again. Um, However, they have to go get get over their their, uh, human dramas and issues just like everybody else because you still got to play the game and get over the same hurdles. But um, it might just be something that's part of your life plan. So I wonder the question is for the practitioner, um, if that's something that they've ever asked themselves when they're also under as a client, you know, why do I get the clients that I get? Because um, I've, I've, I've interviewed different uh, practitioners of different modalities and they may just get marital problems is what they always seem to get. But then in their life, they are dealing with marital problems. So <laughs> you get what you attract, isn't that the, the case? Or what you are or, or what you need to grow. You know, um, the other thing I, I also want to know also is you, you, you seem to get a lot of people who are um, very ill. Um, and have you ever had any examples where you, you did a surrogate session for somebody who was in the ICU at the hospital? Sorry about that. I was drinking water. Um, 
I'm not recalling that. I do remember um, a session or two of people being in comas and the both of them ended up being the same the same thing, which was it was rather than um, the the person dying outright and immediately, it was like a slow exit um, so that the family could gather, so that the energy could be there when they passed, etc. So you know the the whole idea is. Um, Healing, healing comes in a number of different ways. Healing doesn't always mean a, a perfectly healthy body. Uh, both of my parents experienced a surrogate quantum healing session that changed both of their lives. What happened? Uh, both of my parents back in, in 2013, 2014 timeframe were on 24 seven oxygen in their homes. There was two compressors in the hallway and they both had the, the, the tubes in their nose at all times, both of them, my dad for COPD, my mom for congestive heart failure. And when, and this was past Dolores dying again, um, yeah, so it must've been 2014, that uh, I actually had two friends of mine. So I removed myself from it, but two, two other practitioners who we were doing experimenting on this kind of stuff, you know, remote. And they did a surrogate session never having even met uh, my father. And the next day, my father didn't need the oxygen anymore. And he's in the other room right now. Oh, uh, he's still alive. Yeah, seven, eight years later, he still doesn't. And he still has some coughing. He still has some lung issues. But he, that next day, he didn't need his 24-7 oxygen anymore, which is just huge in his life. Right. And Were you the surrogate for him no. and your mother? Who was, oh, your no. friends were the surrogate. People who never even met my father. But you, you were the person who did the, um, who, who facilitated the session and then no. you're, no, okay. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, two people. Yeah. So, so just two friends of mine, two quantum healers who were doing some of this experimenting that we, you know, getting BQH on the way and basically just stepped into, um, you know, the energy stream of my dad and became the surrogate, even though they'd never met him. And we had asked Dolores about that years and years ago. And she said, well, yeah, you can do that. But she didn't want to talk about that either. She didn't want practitioners to think they had that kind of power, which was interesting. Um, but again, that was her way of looking at it. But, you know, we decided to try it. It was magnificent. My dad, within hours, was a different man. And, um, and it gets better <laughs> because my mom saw this, you know, it, the company came and picked up the oxygen machine. It wasn't getting used anymore. He had a separate issue, congestive heart failure, but she too was on, on supplemental oxygen 24 seven. And, and she basically said, you know, can they, can those ladies do that for me? You know? <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, yeah, we, you know, we, we can try. And so it was just a little time after that, that, um, that they did. And it absolutely helped my mom. Um, she still every once in a while would, would have a little bit of oxygen, but mostly she came off her 24 um, seven oxygen as well. But here's the really interesting thing that happened with my mom. It wasn't very long um, after the surrogate session, the, the healing that the biggest part of the healing that happened with my mother was the fact that 
her negativity left. So she was sort of, you know, a pessimistic person at that time, mostly because of her body, you know, it just was failing her in her late eighties. And, um, and, and she didn't see much promise and much hope. And she, it, it, it was difficult to be around somebody who, who's that negative and that complaining, you know, she, she just, it was not a happy thing, but after the session, not only did her oxygen levels, uh, increase dramatically where she was mostly not using that machine at all. I think every once in a while she'd use it at night. But um, her whole attitude changed. Her whole attitude changed. And the really amazing thing was she actually died not too long after that um, from a stroke that had nothing to do with her heart failure. Um, and then she, she lingered a little bit after the stroke, but she passed. But the amazing thing was she had about five months of really beautiful existence where she wasn't negative. And so the healing for my mother wasn't that she was going to have a, a functioning, youthful body again. Uh, the healing for her was uh, peace and acceptance and, and, you know, beautiful, peaceful last moments of not being miserable and just being filled with love. So there's a lot of different kinds of healing. And um, by the way, that woman with the pancreatic cancer, the, the daddy and the, the preacher, she had this session where she too just went into her current life, actually. She she had a, some people would call it an unsuccessful session. All she did was, all she did was lay there and she remembered the birth of her son and um, the wedding of her son and then another really happy day. And uh, she got absolutely nowhere with talking to um, the higher self, you know. Uh, I even tried to rewind time and bring her back to the time when before she was human. And she was so indoctrinated by her religion. She was, she was like, well, there's nothing there because there's nothing before you're born. I mean, so she didn't participate in that way at all. But after the session, she went into remission and... Last I heard, she's she's just still in remission. And she's yeah, that's good. That's what she needed. You know, exactly. I mean, exactly. That's 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 how that's what she needed because she needed to experience the grace before she could open up to the expansion of yeah. the grace and all the different facets that it can exist and and become. Yeah. So, and that's what maybe that that was just basically the the, the entry point. You know, the thing I want to say also about. Um, you know, with BQH, because I've done some BQH with people and they get, um, you know, aspects of the current life. And I've done meditation and they get aspects of the current life as well. The thing is, is that um, in in Buddhism, they have a thing where they don't really believe in, they call it existentialism or something like that. But anyways, it's the concept that there that there is a time. There is no, in the spirit world, there is like no time and everything exists now. So the different reviews of your existing life, just as a different reviews of maybe some previous lives or some future lives or some lives in the spirit world or some lives in anything within creation or samsara is all parallel to each other because it all exists at the same moment mm -hmm. in terms of consciousness there is no time in consciousness and so when you can understand that in the in the spirit world 
or in the non-physical world, because the spirit world has different layers, but in the non-physical world, there's no concept of time, then it's all happening concurrently and it's all parallel. So she did have a session where she was reviewing um, information that was going to help her. So that's, that's one thing to understand when, when people are like, I only got my own, my own existing lifetime. It's like, no, you got what you needed exactly because right. the result it happened to be successful because it helped you, it helped you out. And in her case, it helped her with her remission and changing her DNA sequence. Um, you know, I wanted to ask also this other question as well. And this is kind of like a hot topic right now. So um, a lot of fringe conspiracy theorist groups have used um, terminology such as awakening and ascension and, and different meditation symbols in their campaigns. Um, and even like I work in IT and even in computer algorithms, the computers have yet to make the distinction between like a traditional meditation group focusing on spiritual awakening and development uh, within consciousness and possibly like a QAnon group using the same terms for their group's political um, purposes and aspirations. So there's, so even the computer algorithm is still trying to figure out the difference. But um, in Buddhism, we have very strong boundaries for not allowing um, these types of like conspiracies and fear mongering to take over our forums and our communities because um we found this pattern that we call the near enemies of awakening there's really no enemy but it's the concept of the near enemies of awakening um in how it gets mixed up in the destructive nature of ego and um and often it manifests in some type of tribal warfare and so i want to before I get your answer. I wanted to distinguish the difference between a near enemy because some people in Buddhism will be like, what's a near enemy again, Vaughn? So a near enemy is basically characteristics that are masked as the original thing. It's so close, but it's not the original thing. It's like the difference between an open-minded person and a gullible person. Open-minded person is open, but there's discernment, whereas a gullible person just takes everything. And so it's it makes it really, really easy to kind of get confused, um, you know, because they're so close in relation. But when you look underneath the hood and you look at the concepts a little bit further, um, you see the distinction. And typically they follow these typical patterns, okay? So oftentimes uh, they will a near enemy concept will polarize groups through separation. So like there's no oneness. Um, and then they would demonize others in their opposite group as evil or satanic. And that would give them the entitlement that their own group is either the savior or the light. However, we know in all these modalities as we go into consciousness and connection to source that there are really no bad guys. It's just life lessons. So, but however, this is, this is the purpose. And then at the manifestation of that process ends up in inciting violence or harassment in order to conquer the enemy tribe. So this is the foundations of tribal warfare. And, um, and we call that a near enemy to be aware of um, when people loosely take these sacred terms in, uh, in Buddhism and other indigenous cultures for their own purposes that you have to be mindful 
of um, not getting it mixed up with other things. And so I bring that up because I do look at a lot of forums in different modalities. And when I see something that represents what we call in Buddhism a near enemy, I'm like, ah, a lesson is going to be learned. So, um, you know, with that, are there any healthy boundaries that practitioners should hold regarding like conspiracy theories? Because they're going to come up in your sessions or they're going to come up in the forums that you go into. Because like I said, the algorithm is still trying to figure out the difference. Um, yeah, such a huge question. You know, we could talk about this one question for days, probably. Um, <laughs> truly, you know, um, so the whole idea of a conspiracy theory anymore, um, you know, uh, the earth not being the center of the universe used to be a conspiracy theory. You know, one person's- It still is. It still is for some people. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, it belief system is, you know, whose truth are we talking about? I mean, there's a real, um, you know, people, people are on their own personal timeline journey and- you know, I don't know about you, but boy, I'm in a different place than I was even 10 years ago. Uh, I think about some things completely differently. And if I have met my future self or, or a colleague who was, who was me, I guess I would hope that, that somebody, you know, who had a little more uh, practice or, or wisdom packed away would allow me my own journey. And one of the, one of the ways that I tried to deal with that on our very big, very open community forum is I make it, it, it just very, very simple, which is um, anything, any idea can be discussed as long as it's pre presented neutrally and with genuine kindness or, or curiosity. And once anyone, and it's so rare, it hardly ever has ever happened, actually. I, I don't know how lucky we've been that way. But, but yeah, because you have this long history of yeah. moderating for large forums, and yeah. it's easy for, um, you know, for it to lose its purpose. Yeah, we, we just haven't, um, we haven't had to deal with very much of that at all, because we've, we've just made it very, very simple, which is not any one of us knows everything. We can't know everything. And, and you may have your own version of whatever it is, pick the subject, you know, you may, you may have thought you figured out everything there is to, about a single subject. And you may be in the same forum with somebody who believes that they've figured the exact opposite out of the exact same subject. And what I have really wanted is the kind of place where both of those people can exist in the same place. And it's pretty easy when one just doesn't insist that the other one believes what the other one thinks that they should believe. And, and, you know, censorship is rampant right now in our world. And I think it's very, very dangerous. And um, I need to plug in my computer pretty quick or I'm going to, Oh my goodness. I just am now seeing that. Um, so we've managed to, keep it together just fine by, you know, as long as you don't insist to believe in my reality, uh, you know, I, and as long as um, I don't insist that you believe mine or that I have to believe yours, we're good. And, and I think the exchanging of ideas and, and discussions is, is the way that we 
come to, to, to oneness, right? It's when, when we lose respect that, that the problems occur or when we try to control somebody else, either by telling them they can't talk about this or whatever. Of course, on our forum, we are practically, uh, excuse me, we are specifically a practitioner minded community. And we talk about how our work affects clients and et cetera, like that. And we, we try to stay away from the divisive nature of, of what's been a lot of uh, politics, but it's actually, you know, it's very difficult right now to completely stay away from politics. Why? Because it's gotten so huge. It's, it's, it's when I can leave my house, when, who I can talk to and, and what I have to wear on my face and, and these kinds of things. So it's, it's, you know, it's tough out there. And in the spiritual communities, um, we're, we're having to remember how to make our way mindfully, uh, trying to keep the higher levels of discernment, you know, in place and in mind, but we're still three-dimensional humans. So um, it's, it's a, it's a fine line to walk. Yeah. You know, respectful boundaries are, is a form of compassion in action. And it does require um, some acumen to have discernment on how far you want to take something. Um, I, you know, one of the main principles in Buddhism is the middle way or the, the middle path that the first Buddha, Sagarta Gautama um, Shakyamuni uh, stated is that don't be too far into one extreme versus another stream. You know, the best practice to navigate through life and, and to the higher versions of reality is the middle ground. So if you go too far in one versus the other, you kind of tune out. You're too far that you can't hear the other side. So, um, and it has to all learn to exist together in harmony and abundance. Otherwise, that dichotomy, that, that separatism, that this is evil and that's not your, I'm evil or you're evil and you're good or, you know, that polarization um, is the seeds that begin the pathway to tribal warfares and self-destruction. And, um, and just recognize the seeds in the very beginning will, will lead, lead you towards the higher version of reality and not get to the version where you completely self-destruct your own civilization your own life in the, the minute, minute scent or even your own planet because it begins with those seeds of seeing you're evil and I'm not. Yeah. But nobody thinks they're the evil ones. That's right. the funny thing. Yeah. So although they're just thinking they're just trying to survive, but what only way they know how. So the real evil in Buddhism is ignorance. And um, when we do these kind of, when I do, uh, these sessions, whether it's do meditation or BQH or any other forms that I do, um, and the client goes through all the different lives that they're experiencing, the different experiences that they're experiencing within um, creation, they see that all we're doing is switching masks, we're switching, switching roles, we're switching storylines, we're agreeing on certain things. And so, you know, we're even agreeing on being the bad guy so that you can be the good guy and you can you can play the hero and so you can learn and, and grow and be an example. And so, you know, when you see all that, you give compassion to the person in your life that is the bad guy. Kind of like, you know, the movie Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> He's like, you can be the bad guy, but you don't have to be the bad guy. <laughs> So, so it's the same kind of thing, but um, but that that 
that is compassion in action and that maybe is a life lesson that we are learning as um as a civilization as in our lives and in our community to um to learn to have discernment and not get so far into the extremes because that's the seeds that sow self-destruction um well that, that's 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 good um they have another question so this and here's another thing that comes up in forums as well a lot of bqh practitioners um and i've heard this in other modalities as well they describe what buddhists and many indigenous cultures call the fifth dimensional awareness with earth post 2012 and in buddhism 2012 was the year 2555 which is the angel number in the buddhist era calendar for changes a changeover um but they call it the new earth um is it the same thing because we think it's the same thing gosh um again it's you know who knows is the is the first way i would answer that uh the second way i would answer that is labels are so tough the one thing that's nice and that comes to the fore a lot doing this work and as we move into the higher levels say the fifth dimension or you know the the, the more refined parts of consciousness they don't seem to matter um, the labels just don't seem to matter i had a, a consultation session earlier today with a woman who uh, she was quite upset and it wasn't a regular bqh session it was just a consultation session but she was kind of getting herself um worked up a, a little bit um and um i was assisting her the best i could and what i found was at one point i was like how about we just stop talking and um let's just do this and i just sort of switched gears completely and i basically worked with her with without any words at all and wow did that just kind of change everything right then so what I what I think is happening is we're learning how to access that energy and access our own stepping into it so much easier, so so much quicker. We we don't have to have giant long inductions or preparation sessions or whatever. I mean, here I was talking with this lovely woman for you know maybe almost two hours and. Um, and, and, and I just basically said, take a deep breath. How about we do this? And the things that happened in, in that next 10 or 15 minutes were about as strong and astonishing as some full length BQH sessions that sort of crescendo to that, you know, healing moment. And that happened just like in this amount of time, right? And I marveled at that with her today. I mean, even to the fact where during this, I felt my own eyes going into REM, watching her own eyes sort of going into REM when I would peek up and it was like, well, this is really fascinating. So uh, yeah, I think it's the same thing. I think, again, we as three-dimensional humans, physical humans are, are trying to make sense of as we transition, you know, we're the, we're moving into this transitional phase and, and we're struggling with how to describe what it is. But I think we all have our eyes on the prize. We know what's coming. We've tasted it. Um, it's just difficult to label. Right, right. And I think the late, like for, for me, um, and a lot of people um, in Eastern philosophy, the, you know, when you get into the higher dimensions of awareness, um, you know, there really is no words 
to understand it because and you know, I, you know a lot of a lot of um, people like it's like the concept of time. We think there's a concept of time so that we can see progression and we can see growth. We can see where we were so that we know where we are, et cetera, et cetera. But when you go into consciousness and you tap into Christ consciousness of the oversoul in all in all things in creation, it all exists simultaneously at the, at the same time. There is no linear thought process or linear way to see it. Um, and so um, seeing something in a linear way is actually slowing you down to getting to the outcome much faster. Like I got to do this part, this much time has to be devoted to the interview. This much time has to be devoted to the prepping and this much time has to be devoted to like the, 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 the script and this much time has to be devoted to each, um, you know, vision that we see and and on and on and on and that's how we're it's going to be in this box and that's how it's going to be a good session or that's how it's going to be a good modality that is um believable for people but yeah. you can get the same outcome in much much faster zigzag pattern yeah. so um i i completely understand it. now what tips can people do today to address dense life lessons so that they can get the most out of their fifth dimension awareness with um, their reality or with earth oh gosh well um, easy easy peasy things you know uh i think if there's if there's anything at all you know we started out with your wonderful questions about how i got into this and and developing your own knowing is is so important we we as humans start out our lives as of course infants with our parents or caregivers and we look up to others to provide all the things that we need care and food and shelter and information etc so so we've been trained early on to look outside of ourselves for answers and even for people who are waking up um and getting on a spiritual path, they typically do lots and lots of research and consume everything in sight, sometimes very, very voraciously. And it's, and it's only after, you know, taking so much in that they typically start to settle down and um, find an ease in there and, and find some of their own quiet wisdom and knowing inside. And it's very easy and I see it a lot for people who say that they're spiritual seekers, but where what they really are spiritual seekers in a very intellectual sense, in a very analytical, intellectual, studious kind of way. They, they know all of these different terms and all this different history and all this, and they, they don't have a sense of their heart and their own knowing. And it's, um, it's hard to describe this sometimes. If you've been disconnected from this, for most of your life, it takes a little while to, to, to begin to, to tap into this again, but, but you really can do it. And, and one of the ways to do that is to just to take a breath sometimes and close your eyes and, and not um, think that any one person or organization or news source or family member or colleague or anything has the answer better than you do right here, even if you haven't studied and know everything. 
you know, and so to sort of develop this and you, you know, and people will say, well, how do I develop that? Do I need to go take a class or whatever? And sure, there's, there's things that are out there, but, but what I would say to you is to just in your own way, in your own day, sometimes in small ways, you can ask yourself things like, you know, I, I know I can get to my destination by going down road A or down road B. Um, and, and sit with it for a moment and sort of ask this part of yourself, should I go down, don't use here, but right here, I think, should I go down road A or road B? And typically it's the very first thing that comes up. And that it's as simple as that to just start listening to your own self and then do that little thing more and more. And sometimes with just little things, should I use this glass or this glass, you know, and just start working that little muscle in here. And pretty soon it comes up and it will start to be like a muscle that, that you've mm -hmm. developed and that you use that you can apply to bigger things that might uh, assist you in a more um, free-flowing life without, you know, as many speed bumps in front of you. Yeah, it's very, very good sage advice because a lot, that's one of the things that on the, um, in the spirit world they say about people who are in the physical is that they just always second guess their own intuition. So, um, learning to listen to those intuitive nudges and um, learning to listen to your body and just every, the whole presence. And even just even in the earlier when you told your story of how you got into this work in the first place, you were following synchronicity and following the path that the universe was setting forth for you and you were just kind of following your intuition and you were still second guessing yourself well if she doesn't guess if she, if Dolores doesn't call me then this whole thing was hogwash <laughs> and so even after all of that um there was still a little bit of self-doubt so you've learned obviously to overcome that but that is the the, the life lesson that everyone is going through at some point to find the answers within um you know in advance in advanced buddhism a multi-dimensional person is aware of shifting between different versions of parallel realities of all of they all exist at the same time by raising their level of consciousness this is what they would call personal mandela effects for some people but brain research has proven that the human brain can access up to 11 dimensions of physical reality. This is scientific evidence, people, so you go look it up. Um, therefore, many Buddhists believe that uh, the quote, quote, 3D thought that there is an event or a physical place to travel to um, is misinterpreted as everyone doing their own individual journey to level up their consciousness, which will, you know, shift them to a matching parallel reality. So I, I say that in preface, and of course, everybody go do your research, we can access up to 11 dimensions of physical reality in our brain. Um, and when you do any kind of modality that connects to source consciousness or the Christ consciousness in you, um, the fifth dimensional awareness is an entry point for all the 11 dimensions. But I say that to preface this question, do parallel realities play a role in different practitioners getting vastly different answers from source? 
and also getting vastly different outcomes for Earth and humanity. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. And uh... why is that? Why do different practitioners? Because I say this, I've had this um, where people are like, Vaughn, I follow some of your stuff and that's completely different than somebody else that I follow who's completely different than somebody else that I follow. And you guys use the same meditation techniques or you guys use the same, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I say, I always say this, you will focus on the reality and get the reality that matches you. So um, you just have become aware of options. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. So... Yeah. But what do, you, what do you say about why um, practitioners have such vastly different outcomes with people from source? Um, well, I started asking these questions really early on, very early on, because the guy actually that I sat next to that, that sat on this side of me when I first took Dolores' class all those years ago, he was a 20-year veteran of hypnotherapy. I knew nothing. I, you know, I was this artist photographer. I knew absolutely nothing about any of this. And um, the only thing I, I did know was Reiki. And I had um, dabbled in and, and took Reiki classes to try to help myself with my pain condition. But other than that, I didn't know anything. And um, when Dolores had her next class and we all met up the next year, even though we'd already started the support form, this particular fella, he didn't have any use for that. He, you know, had his own professional practice and he wasn't paying attention to what, any of that stuff. And so we met up and I, you know, I asked him how he was doing and, and he asked me, well, you know, have you been doing the work? You know, have you, have your sessions been going? And I was just like, ah, they've been great. This happened to this happened to this happened to this happened. And I was just, I was just thrilled. And I mean, he was one of the first person I met, you know, and I talked to kind of in this reunion and I looked at him and, you know, and, you know, he's been doing this for 20 years already. And I couldn't wait to hear what stories he told me. And you know what he told me? He told me he'd tried it several times and nothing ever happened. He said, what nothing you- ever happened. He said, my clients didn't have any sort of experience whatsoever. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? How can that be? You know, I, I was visiting other planets. There were crazy things happening physically with windows opening and things happening yeah you were getting the full-on experience and he got yeah and I didn't know anything about hypnosis and and I'm like well what even is this so what I started realizing that of course and 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 why BQH is so different than even my beautiful teacher's uh, program of QHHT is because it doesn't focus on procedure and mechanics Mm -hmm. No, no, no. <laughs> we have a foundation that that does have an outline and, and options and all that kind of stuff. So there is a procedure per se, but it doesn't focus on it. It's not the mechanics that are important. Mm-hmm. What I say over and over again is it's the it's the chemistry. We can't really see unless you can really read auras very well, or you know, you, you can't really see that about about people, and you can't really see the intentions. Right. But but what I've learned is you know you take a client you take a practitioner and you put them two together they're going to have a different session than if that client went to a different practitioner they will have a different session right it was like that same day or whatever it will be different because it's like a chemistry experiment you're putting these two energies together and that is also why i created bqh with having an integral component um well you know everything's uh, optional but it, the integral 
component of intention. What's your intention? Right. What I learned was my intention was seeing magic and helping people and having these amazing experiences and things really, you know, opening up for humanity and, and people living better and all this. Right. And as nice as my classmate was, what I realized was his intention when he had these sessions, I mean, it took me a while to really understand them. But he'd sit down and, and his intention after subsequent asking him some more questions was a little bit more like, I don't know if I believe this is a real thing and can actually work. You know, he went into- Oh, that was his intention. Oh, okay. Right? So his entire, so even though he was following the mechanics, right? His intention was prove it to me. And right. that, a- that, that energy is a killer. Right. That right. doesn't that doesn't facilitate magic. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's almost it's almost like it's almost like for the practitioner of this modality or any kind of modality that taps to taps into the energy of consciousness. Um, it's almost like it is also functions as a tool for their life lesson. Exactly. To kind of tell them where they are in their evolution of consciousness exploration, and they're going to get the experiences um, that they focus on. You know, it's funny that you say that because a lot of my clients say that I help them pre-plan their life (laughs) in the spirit world. So they're just kind of carrying on the consultation Um, and, and, and under, under like BQH or any kind of modality that, that I, I work with my clients on, uh, we'll talk to source and they'll, they'll say, they just came back to you for a check-in. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, okay. But, but it's funny because, um, you, you know, that, that really answers the questions and why, like when you talk to some practitioners of certain modalities, all they ever have are these dire outcomes and you get a little anxiety and almost kind of like a little like heart palpitations after hearing all of them and then then they send you out to the world and you have to go be happy (laughs) it's like ah Um, but or you go to another person it's it's almost like going to like let's say you go to a doctor for the same issue and you go and see a couple different specialists one specialist had gives you the outcome in a very dire way here's what's going to happen and there's no nothing else you could do about it and you you leave thinking that and you leave in a kind of a panic you go to another specialist using much the same methods and the person is like well this is what we found but the good news we didn't find this and this is going to open this up to a lot of different ways in which we can address it. So let me refer you to a couple different other specialists and therapies and stuff so you can kind of test it out and see what you like. And then you might go to another person they'll give you, you know, um, a different perspective. And so then you have these different options and now you get to choose a focus. Mm-hmm. Which version of reality that you exist in do you want to focus your consciousness on it's almost like when we when we do bqh sessions with clients all we're doing is in in buddhism we say all you're doing is you're facilitating a lucid dream and when they go into the lucid dream they can't tell they scientifically have proven that they have lost consciousness of their own identity and ego Mm -hmm. 
and they have actually literally become whatever they are seeing. So it, it, that, that reality that they're seeing is more real than the reality that they are with you. Uh, because that's what they're focusing on. So then you have to kind of count them back and pull them back into their body, into their reality. So it functions much the same way in that whatever you focus on and put your energy and effort on is what you're going to get. Um, and and the same goes with the practitioner. So if the practitioner that you get is matching up to what you're looking for, you're going to get that. So maybe that's why like Dolores always got these wonderful things and never got negative entities while you get yours and you never get why I get my set. We're just getting our specific set of lessons for, um, you know, the work that we are facilitating. We're kind of helping people get to uh, their outcome that they're supposed to get to. (laughs) Does that make sense? I think it absolutely makes sense. And and so some people might ask, well, how does all of that, um, how, how do all of these different realities live in the same place? And, and I've come up with this way of describing it. I always like to think of it as like tracing paper. Um, uh-huh. Your own life is like a drawing on a tracing paper and the next person over there, they have their own tracing paper and you put those two tracing papers together and it looks like all of that is in the same place, but it's really not. It's a very thin bit of reality that is one person's reality and another person's uh, reality. However, you put them together, you know, there, there can be some mixing and melding and shifting in there um, for sure. But, but certainly, you know, everything is uh, an individual focus as long as we're individual expressions and facets right now. But, right. but we're creators. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways of looking at that. There's an insight. Yeah, it's, you know, I've all, I continue to find it, whatever modality that I interview, it's all about life lessons, people. It's all it is, it's all it is about. It's about connecting to consciousness. There's, this is my 25th way in which I presented that you can connect to consciousness and Christ consciousness within you. So Beaky Weeks, lots of fun. Um, And, you know, and there's lots of different ways to, you know, to experience reality. Um, But you know what? I have one last question. What are you working on that we can look forward to in the near present? I'm so excited that you asked me that um, because I, I really am working on this. Uh, it's take, it, as most projects do, they take sometimes a little longer than, than you might think. And, and the events of this last year um, have had their play in that. But here's what I've been working on. So the whole idea of, of quantum healing and most of the regression kind of therapies out there is to use hypnosis or elements of hypnosis is what I like to say with BQH to set the conscious mind or the analyzing mind or the ego, you know, kind of use those interchangeably, set that aside or to calm that part of the the mind so as to enter other parts of the mind. Well, I started finding that some of my clients were making you know, and this actually has been going back years and years, but sometimes even when practicing with them with visualization or imagination games, sometimes I would find that that would be the jump start. That would be the beginnings of their session that would kind of continue later, or that some of the nuggets or the pearls of wisdom would actually come up very early on in a session like that when we were just sitting there talking about how this worked. So 
<laughs> excuse me, I decided to try something I've been calling BQH to go, uh, where I spend just 45 minutes with a client and I say, you know, you didn't, short enough, you can do it on your lunch hour, where I actually use some of the visualization and imagination, quote unquote, exercises that um, have been um, used for many years to prepare clients, you know, to kind of get them ready to do the, the full length session. And I, I do some back and forths with them in a short amount of time. And what I have found is the longer sessions, the longer hypnosis sessions. So the whole idea is to calm again, that conscious analyzing ego mind so that it doesn't interfere. But with this way of approaching typically only a single um, issue or concern, what I do is is have the ego or the analyzer, the conscious mind, we bypass it as well, but with speed. <laughs> so instead of calming it, we simply just bypass it really fast uh, to, in a way that I've been astonished. I've been, I've been doing, well, it's been about it. I've been doing about a year of experimenting here of doing these, these shorter, just BQH to go. And, and some people just want to know a little bit more about you know quantum healing or regression sessions and it's a way to talk a little bit about what could possibly happen or how things can can show up but what i'm finding is some of these like speed sessions almost is almost the way they work out uh, i'm getting some of the releases some of the healings and some of the profound aha moments in 45 minutes now make no mistake a long session is wonderful. Lots of uh, exchange with another person and, and an ability to really explore multiple areas of your life. But these little short sessions are just another tool in the toolbox and something fun. And for maybe some of those people, um, we'll uh, circle back earlier to the earlier part of the interview that you asked about some people being kind of concerned or, or afraid of hypnosis, mm -hmm. right? has nothing to do with that. It's, it's the exact opposite as you know, yeah. wide awake as can, as can be. And it's been nice for those people to uh, experience. Just experience the grace of consciousness. And then later on, when they're ready, they can learn how, how it transpired. Yeah. So I'm, I'm QH to go really to anybody who's done regression work before or dream analysis even because yeah. the symbology is, is, is right there. Anybody yeah. who's in those areas of assisting clients and being of service to others, I think might really like. BQ. So when Candace, can we expect to see this mini course come out? Cause you know, I pretty much, I, I, my husband's like, my husband's like, mom, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Give me a course. It's August after, after yeah, August. Well, hopefully, certainly by August. So. Hopefully. Okay. I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for that because yeah. I do love to yeah. learn a new modality to connect to consciousness. I was really hoping that I could work on it over Christmas, but the thing that, uh, not to get too much about my own personal life, but, but dad being 90, um, he's no longer living in his own home uh, you know events of last year and his advanced age has brought him into my home and that has severely impacted my 
uh, available time to anything. <laughs> so um, I have a little bit of help, but I don't have the same full time. Um, and so things are taking a little longer, but um, I'm oh, still- that's, that's understandable. I, I was a caregiver for my handicapped brother for most of my life. Oh my and goodness. so, um, yeah, yeah. And so I, you know, being a caregiver is, is, is a demanding position let alone add other responsibilities on top of that so yeah so when it when it happens it will happen and we have plenty of things in bqh and other things to entertain ourselves (laughs) and you know every year for dolores's birthday we've been running what, what we call the worldwide regression week but I'm in the middle of deciding that I'm going to do that again this year, which will be in the April timeframe, but mm-hmm. I can't, I cannot after the events of last year and moving into this year, I can't use the word regression anymore. I think it just can't. It's, it's, it's going to be something else because regress, it has the word regress in it and we're oh, like doing we're it. going backwards. Yeah, we're doing anything but that right now. We are in this giant expansion, you know? Yeah. And, and there's just, I haven't quite renamed it yet, but it'll still happen around Dolores' birthday, April 15th. We'll have a worldwide event then um, on our quantumhealers.com channel. So it'll come out. to you. It'll come to you. Well, that sounds super exciting. I'm excited for that mini course. I love to learn a new modality. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I think one of the things that I um, decide on for my excursion here in the physical was that I want to have my mind or consciousness blown <laughs> about all the different ways in which we can connect to consciousness and, um, you know, they exist, like make the magical real. So, and you know, that's what, that's what I enjoy. So I love finding new, new ways to make the magic real. And then the more I look into the magic, the more scientific I understand. I'm like, oh, this happens at this layer. We just haven't got to that level in science yet. But, um, but, you know, keep your ignorance, people. Sometimes your naivety, because sometimes it's much more fun when you're naive as to how metaphysics transpires, because when you understand it a little bit, how the metaphysics transpires, it's not so magical. So, um, you don't want to, so, so I keep going for higher and higher levels. <laughs> so, yeah, well, you know, Candace, thank you for contributing to the ever-expanding um, modalities so that people can tap into their own energy healing abilities and connect to source itself um, in whatever phase they are in their life lessons. So for more information, everyone, about Candace Crawl Goldman's BQH training sessions and courses, uh, please visit her website, quantumhealers.com. So that's quantumhealers.com. And again, thank you to our listeners for listening to another enlightening conversation. Until next time, blessings. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Merkaba Chakras, where we talk Buddhism in the fifth dimension. For more information about today's guest, please go to the show description. For more information about Vaughn's metaphysical work, please go to MerkabaChakras.com. The views expressed today are for entertainment purposes and do not necessarily reflect the views of the host or replace any medical or legal advice. 
Don't forget to subscribe for more interviews about the fifth dimension. Until we meet again, blessings.